The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. It's relevant to medicine. Not re we're not going to talk about guns per se, but um, because one of the key questions, so there are a lot of issues when it comes to guns in, on Shabbat and uh, in shul in general, even during the week. There's a question of bringing a weapon into a sanctuary. Um, Obviously, the overriding factor is always it's the, all the questions are irrelevant when there's a dangerous situation. Because there's nothing to talk about, um, right? As we learned many times in this class, because nefesh overrides every everything. So it overrides Shabbat, Mukta, um, bring the general prohibition of bringing a weapon into a sanctuary, um, which is generally prohibited when there's no when it's not because nefesh. Okay, so there, there's many issues which we're not going to discuss. But the, so, the, but the key issue really boils down to since pikuach nefesh, the question is really moot: is how you, do you define pikuach nefesh? So that's a very general question in all of medical ethics, which I figured we'll discuss here today. It's similar mm -hmm. to things we discussed in the past, but different because we've discussed in the past the definition um, relevant to specific illnesses. Um, let's say what's what illness or what body parts are considered danger to life. Halacha might have different views than medicine in certain instances. As we discussed, eyes are always considered pikuach nefesh, not ears. Um, anything internal. There's a lot of different. Uh, so halacha might disagree with medicine in certain areas of the definition of pikuach nefesh. But here and then we also discussed it in the past in the context of what risks am I allowed to take as a person or as a physician. In, in risking my own life because you're now allowed to risk your life. So over there it has to be defined what's the definition of risk. But here it's a, somewhat of a different question which is we're saying the as we said, as we mentioned last week um, we discussed actually last, I wasn't here last week, two weeks ago, which is that Bikoch uh, Nefesh overrides everything. And so how far do we take that? We discussed actually last few weeks we have been discussing that. How far do you, do you take that concept? Meaning, as we discussed, a surgeon who wants to smoke before surgery, he says he's do a better surgery, so can he do that on Shabbat? Um, I forgot the other cases we were discussing. Help, someone help me out here. But there was, a, there was many different instances, right? Can I call my, my child in a different city because I'm gonna, I have a heart condition? I need to know that he's safe, that he made it home um, safely. Things like that. So where, how far do you take the concept of Bikuach Nefesh. So that's, very, that's really, in a certain sense, the key question here also when it comes to these questions of Shabbat, carrying a gun, you know, so a lot of it might depend on the neighborhood you live in. Till now, before the whole shul thing, I mean, till, till unfortunately, till this year with Pittsburgh and it was last year already, whatever it was, and uh, Poway, so it wasn't as concerning of an issue, wasn't as pressing of an issue, but over the last you know, six months or so, every uh, once a week I get a phone call from someone who has this question, can I bring my gun to show, can I carry it without an air, um, can I carry it back, etc. Um, how does it work? If I'm just, if you need the protection in the show, can I walk to show with the gun, do I have to put it there before Shabbos, can we leave it, where, etc., etc. Um, amongst other questions of, of security cameras and all, all these security issues. Thank you so much. So, um, thank you. This is the third week you told me already. It's old news already. She's already pregnant. It's not her next one. You know, the Brit, the Mila is a, is a difficult procedure. That's why Jewish boys don't walk for a year afterwards. Um, so, uh, <coughs> so again, so there's so there's a multiple issues, um, but the key point is boiled down to is what's Bikur Nefesh. So if you live in Foundren Southwest, so irrelevant to anti-Semitism, shul protection, you're probably allowed to carry a gun just because of the neighborhood, because the safety of walking to shul. There's a different question. Maybe I shouldn't go to shul on Shabbos. It's better not to, you know, you're violating Shabbat, let's say carrying, assuming there's no, there is an air there, but you're carrying a gun, um, which might be muksa, other, whatever the violations are, but maybe it's better to stay home and, and uh, you know, and not go to shul. So that's the question. So we're not going to go into those questions today. Save that for a different uh, class, a Thursday's class. But the, so the question today is, which I wanted, to, which is relevant. It's a general question of medical ethics: is what is the definition? How do you define pikul Um How far do you take it in the sense of not in specific cases, but general principles? How do I know what's considered a danger to life? Um, that's really the question one. So I want to discuss, and then we'll maybe apply it to the gun issue. If we have time, so. So the, 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 that's the first two questions I put up here. Should we treat this, meaning this, I didn't put what this is, this meaning the situation today where you have 
clearly people who are targeting shuls. Um, and I'm not necessarily mean the truth is schools are probably where if you look at the numbers if you go in with statistics there's more of a chance you you're, God forbid a child getting killed in school today than probably in a shul but um, uh, also in restaurants wherever it is I actually just went to class well that's only time. because there's more schools than shuls um, I'm not sure that's true I mean it's true that there are more schools than shuls but I'm not sure I mean the chances of someone getting I don't know if they even did a statistics yet, but if you ask an actuary, what's your chances of getting killed in a show? It's, uh, I mean, and probably in the world, there's only been uh, over uh, since uh, 1900s, there's been maybe four, maybe 20 attacks in a show. So it's a it's very small chance, a very low chance. Okay, your chance of getting killed in a car accident is much higher, um, without question. Right, so so does that is does this sufficient a reason because there's been two cases in America where shuls have been attacked? Um, is that sufficient reason to allow Chilo Shabbos to violate Shabbat in the shul? Um, that's question number one. And as we say, it boils down to the question of criteria of what's because nefesh, which again is a very general question in order of med- all of medical ethics. So what, what would you say? Do we allow? Um, by the way, if you hire, like here, saying they hire armed guards, so that's the assumption is they're not Jewish. So there's no issue. That's no issue at all. That wouldn't be a question. The question is to allow Jews to violate Shabbat to uh, protect the shul. So what would you say? I'm against guns. No, oh, nothing to do with that. Okay, well, I'm still against guns. It could be. So you have a Jew. You, you're not. You're against the armed guards, yeah? Uh, I'm against all the guns. You say just. Kindness no, I mean, we have to have guards, so we you have to get to have guns. So we, Were you I'm born in the 60s? Were you, what's that but thing? I'm happy to have gar- armed guards, I guess. Okay, right. So the question is, so could those armed guards be uh, from Shabbos Shabbos people? Would they, would they be allowed to be doing that on Shabbat? That's the question. Or is it limited to... I mean, we have live to in a society where there are plenty of non-Jews, I guess. That gets around it, the whole issue. Yes, but, but many most schools today don't. <laughs> Especially in Texas, don't want to rely on it. Well, another say? example of... Was I was in, she was first? Oh, I'm sorry. It, it's interesting because we have armed guards. Paid, who, paid guards. Paid guards. But everybody knows the three or four guys who carry. Are they trained? That's a whole different issue. They, they, they have to be trained. I mean, we're not talking about just people, okay, corral. Well, I mean, everybody knows who they are. Mm. But nobody knows that they... You, do you know? It's not official. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's not official, but in my shul, it is official. They, they, specific people were told to carry on Shabbos. So. As long as the criminals don't know who they are. Well, it, 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 it's not criminals is the wrong word to use here. I think, because I don't think it's. I mean, it is a criminal act, but I don't think it's criminals. Bank robber is criminal. I think a, an interesting yeah. example of the whole idea of paid guards who have no skin in the game other than collecting their salary was brought to light yesterday when they mm-hmm. indicted yes. Scott Peterson. Now here's I, Explain I what can it assure is. you, you know that, that he indicted the guard at the in the, Parkland. The did he stood outside 46 minutes while they right. massacred. Whether the whether that's an indictable offense is yeah. a whole other issue. I mean, obviously, criminalizing cowardice seems like a, a pretty bizarre approach. <laughs> We'd all things. be in jail. <laughs> but be, beyond that, it kind of exemplifies the whole idea of having guards that have no skin in the game. Had that guard had a student in the classrooms, uh, he would have been much more incentivized to go in uh, for his 50 grand a year or 75 grand a year. Psh, Not even. Maybe I get fired. The security guards, by the way, are very, very low pay. They're very low. They're very low on pay, the pay scale. And to expect Actually. them to have to risk their life. A, a great deal of courage. Yes, is, is I agree with of, that. So th- it goes it back. It's kind of a a, 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 a poor argument. Yes, a ha- excellent point. That we it goes back to what we discussed last week with that seller we had uh, two weeks ago. With, with should you hire uh, an ambulance driver who's an Jew on Shabbat to go to the call? So there you were saying no. 
you understand that that's a bad idea because their response time when you have someone again like he's saying who's, this is their community they're going to be going on sidewalks they're going to be driving through red lights yeah. so so it's, it is i believe here to a certain extent it's the same issue although again the questions are professionals i can tell you in, in the only reason where i pray they they had armed guards it's just the expenses also adds up every shabbat to have a, mm -hmm. a professional mm -hmm. is very expensive it's a lot cheaper to have people in the shul again they need to be trained properly that's a, that's a different question but but there's no question right those people are going to be and also the the fact is they're going to recognize members if you have them standing at the door and letting people in so the guy if it's a, to some outsider he has no idea who's from the shul who's not who's a member what do they look like it's, it's, it's another issue whereas someone from the shul so they know this guy's never been here before he's not supposed to be wearing uh camouflage to a synagogue, the other guy doesn't realize that, the train, you know, there's a lot of nuances in shuls that members of the shul recognize and, you know, and, and other, you know, if he's coming with a big tray of kugel, you know, okay, he's not a, nothing, you don't have to pat him down, right, so, you know, so there's, there, so I think there is merit to what you're saying in that sense of having someone organic from the shuls, a local person, but, and there's also the expense issue, which is actually a different question, which I'm not going to discuss, maybe mention in the other class, which is, can we force the members to pay for armed guards? Can we force that on the membership to pay for that? Which is an interesting the question. The is, sure. We just got our... Yeah, you could do whatever you want, but the question is, halakhically, from a halakhic perspective, um, let's say they say, I'm ready to volunteer. We don't want to hire the guard. So how does that work? I'm ready to do it. I'm, I'm ready to get so trained. What's the halakha before I pay my, my uh, security? <laughs> so, so I don't know. I didn't prepare it yet, but there's there's the Talmud discusses extensively what you can force community members. One of them is security to pay for security. Can you for you can force that in the community to build a wall? They have to mm -hmm. collectively say, even though this guy says I have my own protection, I don't need the wall of the city. So the Talmud says very clearly, he still has to pay. Um, even though he himself says, I have a moat around my house, I don't need the protection. Or I live in the middle of the city, it's only the people at the edge of the city need the protection. So uh, uh, it's very clear. Shulchan Aruch discusses this extensively and says you can force collective uh, dues okay. in things so that are necessary. So I can't argue with that. Right? More or less. I mean, I, didn't, I don't know the details. Well, I mean, you, you can argue with them, you're going to lose. Right. That's we we'll lose anyway. Yeah, but I'll, I'll uh, have to. I didn't honestly. I didn't prepare well enough. I've done it in other contexts. So okay. So what are the criteria of pikuach nefesh? So as we know, normally the a here we say in any case of imminent danger, of course we violate Shabbat. Even on a malacha derais, that means when it comes to any prohibitions, we know except the big three, we violate everything, even biblical prohibitions, in order to save a life. So do we treat the question here is do we treat security issues as pikuach nefesh? potential security threat that there were two shuls in the United States out of, you know, 5,000, whatever it is, however many synagogues there are, because there's a potential threat somewhere, maybe. Um, and therefore, do we say that that, because there's no current threat to a particular shul, that it is too remote to be considered to be So that's really the question here. How remote, at some point, as we discussed two weeks ago in a different context, there's a, there's a line. And we say, this is just ridiculous to say, I'm going to, you know, be Michal Shabbos. We discussed it last two weeks ago in the context of returning from the call, because in the future, he might be too lazy to go if he ends up stuck in the hospital for Shabbat. Right, so that, that was the question we discussed two and three weeks ago, yeah. or two weeks ago, I don't remember when. So, so how far do you, where do you draw the line of it's, it's a potential danger or it's potentially life-saving? That's really the question here. So uh, just because there are two shuls attacked, does that mean now everyone in the shul can carry a cell phone, everyone can carry their gun, everyone yeah. can do anything they, they wish? Sorry, one second. I, I think, I think you have, there's a fallacy in here. You're saying only two shuls were t attacked. If we didn't have armed guards, there probably would have been more shuls attacked. Uh, I'm not sure. They, no one knows of any other potential. There was some. They well, the guy in Riverdale who was thinking of it. You know, the FBI saw on his Facebook or something. But there was very, I mean, there's, Practically speaking, the chances of someone dying in shul are pretty low at this point. In the United States, if yeah, you live in Turkey, but, you live in... But a lot of it's reduced because we have armed guards. If we didn't... Most shuls don't have armed guards. Uh, may I hate to say it. 95% of shuls do not have any method of security. They don't have security cameras. Mm. Now, shuls are putting them in, which now is when the questions are coming up. But 95% or probably 98% of the shuls... So, in FDA law, we... we do a, a risk analysis on every product and it's it's a pretty good methodology in that 
when when you look at a particular risk, uh, we take both the frequency and the severity, and we multiply the two to get a risk number on it. So, if it's very unlikely, but it would be a, a terrible thing if it happened, yeah. like a death, uh, that still gets a, a reasonably high number. If it's pretty common, but you know all it is is a rash and it's not going to be a, a serious thing, the number will come out pretty low because you're going to multiply it by a one or a two instead of a five or a six. So. Uh, in, in the case of a mass shooting in a, in a synagogue, we would have like a six on the severity level. Uh, if it's a one to six scale, we'd have a, a six on the severity level and a one on the <coughs> frequency level. So we would end up with a six. And most of the time in FDA law, we, we happen to say that five or greater is an unacceptable risk. It's an arbitrary right, okay, thing. So, 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 hey. it, so that would, would reach that threshold where if it was just multiple injuries and uncommon, it would not reach that in the Chabad house there was a gun in the shul and that probably decreased the number of deaths markedly probably did I miss you, what are you looking for? No, I'm not looking for you well, okay, I'll come in a few minutes okay. the, uh, so, the, so the question like this so what he's bringing up trying to find track here but uh, I can do it off I don't waste time but uh, basically the, Generally, halacha does not, when it comes to this, when it comes to pikuch nefesh, statistics are irrelevant. Normally, halacha does use statistics. That's a, a biblical concept of, in all areas of halacha is what we call holchen acharov. We go with the majority. We look at statistics, and statistics tells you what the halacha should be in that case. Fascinatingly enough, when it comes to life-saving measures, says the Talmud explicitly in Yoma, so I quote here in Bede, states we don't follow statistical majorities, what we call a rove, rove means a majority, when it comes to pikuach nefesh. That means even though the Torah always says, and that's a general concept, as we're saying in all of halacha, which is that when it comes to judgments, let's say that we go with the majority of the court. When it comes to all years of halacha, we go with the majority. That means uh, we could assume uh, most cows, why are you allowed to drink milk from a cow? Maybe the cow might be a terminally ill cow, we don't know. If it's terminally ill cow, the milk wouldn't be kosher, relevant to what you're talking about. So, uh, so the Talmud says, no, you go with the rove. The majority of cows are not donut, are not trefa, and therefore you could assume that um, when you drink the milk, it didn't come from a trefa cow. So, majority is used in all areas in kosher, all areas of Jewish law. But says the Talmud very clearly. So, for example, the Talmud's case is you have a building collapse on Shabbat, and you're not sure there's someone in the building. Or, and chances are, good chance, statistically, chances are, if there is someone in the building, he's dead already. There's no or question, he's, he's on the bottom floor. And it doesn't matter. Or he's a Gentile, that's a different <laughs> story. Or he's a rabbi. So, so right, so statistically speaking, it, why, why would you allow him to, why would you allow anyone to violate Shabbat? There's, the guy's probably dead. There might not be anyone in the building. There's a lot, if you go with statistics, you should not violate Shabbat. Says the Talmud, no. When it comes to saving a life, um, we don't go with statistics. Um, that means even if there's a 1% chance that someone might be under the rubble, there's a 0.0% chance someone might be in the rubble, there's a 0.0% chance that he's, uh, that he's uh, Jewish, there's a 0.0% chance that, he is, uh, that he's still alive, then we're going to violate Shabbat to save that life. Okay? Um, so now, and that's, by the way, every time, I mean, if you speak to these Hatzalah members, like I said, my mother calls, uh, you know, Hatzalah ones, you know, probably three times a week. So most, 80% of their calls that EMTs get, you can speak to EMTs, are, are nothing. They come, you know, and the person has indigestion, and stub their toe, whatever the case is, right? So, again, that doesn't mean when I get a call on Shabbat, I can say, oh, it's probably 80% of the calls, you know. So, therefore, we're not going to go on the call on Shabbat. So, it's very clear. Statistics are irrelevant when it comes to life-saving measures. We'll do anything we can to, to, to violate any law to save a life. But, that being said, um, as I put here, this means that we violate Shabbat, even if it's very likely, but not definite. 
So that eve, as, we, as I just said, the person will live without the treatment. Okay, There's a meaning it's, it's, uh, it's very likely that the person will live without this treatment, even if I don't go to the hospital. I don't take him to the hospital. Like, oh, the kid needs stitches. Listen, he can wait uh, four hours till after Shabbat. Right? Um, it's very unlikely that this not taking this person to the hospital will cause any danger to life, but we're going to do it anyway. The given treatment is not going to work in this situation. The guy is, is uh, you know, his head is severed, he's in a car accident. Chances are he ain't going to live for more than uh, 20, another 20 minutes. We're still going to take him to the hospital on Shabbat. Or the person is uh, the, the person's already dead. Well, it's very likely that the person's already dead. We're not sure. Maybe they in the hospital they have more equipment, they can resuscitate him. There's a 0.0% chance. As far as we're concerned, these, you know, there's nothing you could do for him here. Right, so all those cases, we're still going to violate Shabbat. That's based on that, the Kamara and Talmud Yom. Okay, on that building collapse case, that you, I'm proud that you remember that from so many years of coming to this class. Okay. So all, all of those examples you're giving are lifanecha. Jumping the gun, yeah, that's oh, one. Sorry. Okay, yeah, that's one of the answers. So we'll get there in a second. Yes. Oh, okay. So we'll get there. That's a very important point. So now, so nevertheless, continuing the here, there are cases that are very unlikely. Um, meaning where it's literally, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the statistical significance is so low that just ridiculous. Do we still employ the principle that we don't follow statistical majorities, or is there some threshold where we ignore the remote possibility? So that's the question. And, and I think that would be relevant to our question with, again, the chances of someone being killed in the shul, thank God, at this point, listen, God forbid, hopefully things won't get worse, but it's very, very low. Um, so do we do is is that past the threshold? Is there a threshold, and what is, what is that threshold? Okay. So what's interesting is like this. Actually, very very relevant, interesting case, very relevant to Yamtov in general. So the the Talmud discusses um, Yamtov is different than Shabbos, as we know. It's only the main difference between a Chag and Shabbat, as far as what you're allowed to do, which what's prohibited, the prohibited uh, actions and Shabbat. So the only, the main, the only, is only one major difference, which is cooking. Now you're not allowed to cook on Shabbat, but the Torah says, parasha in the in Exodus, um, chapter I don't know, 14 I think, that uh, you it says ach basar ach asher yachal nefesh, things that are necessary to eat. As we know, food is a major part of Judaism, especially on Chag, um, and therefore it says the Torah, you're allowed to do things that are related any uh, normally prohibited work that's related to food you can do so we shecht on Shabbos you're allowed to slaughter your animal to eat it on Shabbos you're allowed to cook on Shabbos uh, sorry not on Shabbos on Yantan on Chag so that's the key difference it's a biblical permission which says very clearly so you're allowed to cook now the problem becomes there's another question was biblical or rabbinical you're not allowed to prepare from of Shabbat to, to after Shabbat normally or you're not allowed to prepare from Chag Shabbat so like this year for example, Shabbat, the Shavuos is this coming week. Shabbat is Friday, regular Friday night Shabbat, Saturday as it usually is. By the way, this year, this year, Shabbat falls on Friday and Saturday, this coming week. And um, and then you have the Chag of Shavuot, the holiday starts Saturday night, um, and two days in the Galut for some, um, sa um, Sunday and Monday. Right, so Saturday night, Sunday, Monday. So the problem is when you cook. You can't cook on Shabbat, obviously. So, um, so that's irrelevant. That's really that you can't cook on Shabbat. It's really irrelevant. But the question would be the opposite way. Let's say sometimes you have a, uh, a regular chag, and then that day is also should the next day is Shabbat. So can I cook? I can't cook on Shabbat. Can I cook on the chag for the next day, which is Shabbat? It's not chag, or maybe it's the second day of the chag, because normally you're not allowed to prepare from one to the other. So there's a there's a leniency called erev tavshilim. But the Talmud says there's something else. You're allowed to cook for one day to the next, there's a loophole. What's the loophole? Because hoil, it's possible a guest might show up today, this afternoon. So I'm cooking for tomorrow, really, or for tonight. But sometimes, you, you know, your, your, uh, your friends, your kids' friends show up, a bunch of teenagers, and they want something to eat. So you're going to give them some of the meatballs you're cooking for the next day. So therefore, potentially, it could, uh, you know, there is a potential for this to be used today. Even though you have no plans on using this pot of meatballs for today on the Chag, you're using it for tomorrow, you're cooking it for tomorrow for Shabbat. But if your friends, kids, uh, if your kids' friends come to the house, you might serve them some meatballs if they're hungry. And I that's always, the leniency. I always snitch when I cook anyway to make sure Sneak. I like it. 
Right. Okay, no, that doesn't work. That's just tasting it. But if the truth is, let's say you have a child, it is a leniency. You can cook today and you could serve it to your kid before Shabbat. Um, so therefore, yeah, I'm allowed to make for 20 people for tomorrow, even though I'm only going to serve one portion to my kid today. That's called chayl. The, the, the Talmud didn't consider concept. ordering pizza? Not on Shabbat. You can't order pizza no. on Shabbat. On the Chag. Besides, we don't need meat on the Chag. Except some people. Um, we don't like dairy. Ron doesn't like dairy. We're against dairy. So, uh, I, don't, I don't need to. Are you doing a... Uh, a, uh, what you call it? Barbie. Flip, uh, flip your tablecloth? No, we don't, I don't need dairy. I don't do that. You don't do that. Okay. Even breakfast. Um, so... Smart. Okay, so now the, the question becomes... So, so Tosa, so it's interesting. So there's this concept, this halachic principle called Chol. Since guests might show up, so Tosa's there on the spot, asked this question. So Tosa's, um, if you look at D... Um, Tosus himself asked this question. So he says, it's ridiculous. Once you're saying, because the potential is here, so like basically you, you can do anything. And what about a regular Shabbat? You're allowed to cook for a seriously ill patient on Shabbat, as we discussed two weeks ago, right? If someone needs protein on Shabbat and there's no protein around, you're allowed to cook a meal for them, for, even f on Shabbat, for a seriously ill patient. So says Tosus, every Shabbat you should be allowed to cook because you might, someone might become ill. Okay? Right. So you have this, once you say, this principle, Allah, principle of this potential guest might show up on Shabbat, therefore on, on the Chag, therefore I can cook for the next day. So he says it's ridiculous. Where do you draw the line? You could argue every Shabbat I'm allowed to cook because someone might get ill and I need to have stuff in the fridge, as every good Jewish mother right, would say. So that's what Tosis' question. He says, why can't someone cook on Shabbat based on the fact that the food could potentially be used for a chaloshiyesh basakana, for a, a patient who's deathly ill? Um, based on this principle of Hoel. Stosis answers, it's so remote, he says, it's lo shchiach, that the concept of maybe there's going to be a patient who's deathly ill in your house, and you're going to need food for him, it's so remote that we can't categorize that as pikuach nefesh. Okay, that's Stosis' answer. So, so you see, he's, he's making yoma. a threshold. Against, it goes against Yoma. Yoma right, right. He's saying there is some point that's so statistically low, it's so remote, that that we will not categorize as Pukuch Nefesh. That's what Tosh is So these are diametrically opposed. Well, it's not diametrically opposed. He's, quali he's qualifying that statement in Yoma. Yoma is saying normal statistics. So it's a good question. That's what we're going to discuss. It's a, yeah. it's a point. Meaning, so we have a Ron is pointing out, we have somewhat of a contradiction here. The, the Talmud in Yoma says very clearly statistics are irrelevant. Tosfus here in Psachim, in Tractor Psachim, he's saying there's some point where it's so remote, it's so statistically off the chart that it, it that it will be relevant. That's what Tosfus seems to be saying. Okay. Right. So, so where is that line? Use two standard deviations mm -hmm. as, as the correct answer, or three, or four. So that's so. The, and the question. So this Tosfus, you're right. So it's it is. It's it's a su it's a vague statement. He just says yeah. his, his language. I didn't put it in the Hebrew here, but his language is it's lo shchiach klal. It means it's 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 not relevant. Not possible. Not 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 possible. It's so so remote. The the window of possibility is so remote that it's kind of like winning the lottery. Right. Exactly. It's well, so it remote as to be virtually impossible, right. and yet it happens. Yeah. I'm saying it's one in uh, 500 million people, which is the same thing if you look at uh, how many shuls there are in the United States and how many services there have been. What your chance of being killed in shul is the same as winning the lottery, in a certain sense. So that's the question. So how, what is this threshold? Tosis doesn't quantify it. He's he's saying it's, it's so remote that that's not pikuch nefesh. So so this is something that I found at least. Um, I don't know Roman numerals, so three, four, five, six, six opinions and, as and by to, the way, this to example, define this. This example Which is example? also this of cooking food for a chole. Yeah, it's um, it's also not a clear example, meaning like yeah, you can cook them chicken soup or something, but the idea that the chicken soup is somehow miraculously going to fix a deathly ill patient. Of course it does. Uh, is, is chicken. troubling. So the question is, are you actually, the goal here is to fix this deathly ill patient, or is this patient dying already, and it's just for comfort measures? Uh, we don't know exactly Yeah, what well, he's, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't know. He's not defining an exact case. But, but right. the Talmud knows we do have a principle. You're allowed to 
cook on Shabbat for Chol Hashish Pesachana. That means if you don't have food, well, obviously you told me if you have a whole fridge of food, you can't cook. But let's say what the doctor says, he needs to have ginger and spinach, whatever. He needs hot yeah. tea, whatever. Right, so then you're allowed to cook. So the question is, so since there's that potential, so once you have this halakha principle, it's it ridiculous. So you Jewish can you, you can throw out the whole Shabbat, can cook Jewish every Shabbat. penicillin has been written up in the New England Journal of Medicine. Of course. Yeah, doesn't it's read it, of course, but it, anyway, I just, it's, it's not yes. a clear cut. Yeah, it's not a clear cut. That's exactly the question. So now we have to define what Tosus is saying, meaning what is this criteria? We're saying, quote-unquote, remote. If it's a remote possibility, it's not defined as Bikuch Nefesh. That's what needs to be defined. We need to define yeah. his qualification. Yeah. If, if you, get, getting semi-serious again, if, if you cook for somebody who is legitimately ill and it's legitimate to cook for them, is it also legitimate to make the pot of food for that'll feed 20 people and let everybody eat from that same pot? So that's a good point. So the Allah says discusses that. It says you can you cannot um, be mosif. That means I can't add when I'm cooking for an ill patient on Shabbat. I can only cook for that patient. I can't add more for and have other people eat it. Even though I'm cooking with permission. But I can't put, throw in another 20 meatballs for the other people. Okay. Um, the question is, if, it, if you... Well, the, my question, I told you I had this question, because I worked in a hospital on Shabbat. I worked in, as a mashkiach in Mount Sinai kitchen for a few years when I needed desperate for money while I was in yeshiva. So I would go there on the weekends, um, and they had a kosher kitchen in the hospital in Manhattan. And the question is, can I eat? They, they actually don't cook, but they warm stuff up on Shabbat. And they, so can I eat from it? You know, is they ready? It's already... They already made their set amount. The question is, they're cooking it for the patients, but there's always leftovers. Can I eat that? So that's a different question. So that, I believe, yes. No, it's meaning as long as they didn't add special for you, you're not on their patient list, then it's fine. They can't, they can't add for you, but once they, it was cooked already, then you can't eat it. Okay, if it's cooked for the patient, and the, the patient didn't eat all of it, as long as he doesn't have contagious disease, you can uh, eat the rest. Okay. Sounds great. No, it doesn't mean you have to eat the leftovers. It means in the kitchen, whatever's left. I, I uh-huh. ate. Okay, so now, so so I found, um, not I found, I plagiarized. And you made um, that ruling, correct? No, no, it's in the, it's, discussed, it's actually disgusting in Jewish law. He was hungry. Everything's disgusting in Jewish law. So this, so this concept, as I put here in E, this concept is discussed by later authorities, and I have here the original, so if anyone wants to see the Hebrew. They do on your shivas anyway. Hmm. Yep, right. Something's wrong here, yeah, no. That's wrong. Take it back. That's the teacher's edition. There we go. This is uh, just, well, I'm quoting in English here briefly. This is the original text in case anyone wants. Google Translate. Don't have one. You can read it. Mm. Take this back. Oh, I know it by heart. I don't need. I could probably read half the words. Pronounce it. Yeah, I got one. I got one. Is there is there a chance though that you could understand a few words? Oh, if there are any, is it statistically possible? <laughs> then please keep it. It's the same chance of the monkey <laughs> typing a, a poem. But no, there I is can. a chance. I can. I can. There is a chance. Okay, we're getting off tangent. We're getting off tangent. Monkey which, poems. Which one? Okay, so we we'll start with number one, which is Rabbi Kiva Eger, um, who lived, number as one. you see, number one. I saw number one. Number I got, I got number one. Eight. So it's number eight. Yeah, it's number eight on this. Oh, okay. Okay, so <laughs> so he. I'm trying to remember what the case was here. Um, so I mean, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't have to read this one inside. He, um, the, the context is he's discussing actually interesting question of a woman who has a some type of ring in her uterus. She needs the doctor said she can't take it out. About carrying on Shabbos relevant to a gun. Is that considered carrying? Is it a chatzitza for the mikvah, etc.? So he discusses this question of what's the sakana, um, etc. What's considered sakana? This was written in the 1700s, late 1700s. Um, she had a ring because of contraception. No, it's some kind. Of, she had some kind of disease in her uterus, and they put in this 
some kind of device. I don't know that. Okay. So, um, so anyway, so the point is, he says there in the it's a, like a four-page response. Somebody in this one paragraph, he says, "Alavada." I just start from the top. There's no true uh, danger there, a suffix or even questionable danger, because that, of course, would be allowed. And there wouldn't be any violation. There wouldn't be any question in the case of even questionable danger, as we said, because statistics are irrelevant, as we discussed. But Ella, second, I hear they're talking about a ring. What are they talking about? The case is there was something. The doctor said she has to keep this thing in her uterus, or I don't know exactly where, to prevent some danger. To prevent some danger. Yes, I mean if they, t- they said it, she takes it out. It's it's dangerous. Okay. That's the case. It doesn't get into the medical. The medical aspect. So he says, um, whatever he's discussing, it's, it's really irrelevant. The point is, we want to take out one line from this. He says, um, the F share, he says, there's really no real danger, whatever the case was. And the, I don't know if it's even this specific case. He's discussing some, he's quoting someone. There's a lot of pain. The F share outside of Richuk, there's a remote chance, one in a thousand, that a sakana, a danger might come from it. Might so come from? From whatever the case is. Removing the ring? I, I don't even know if he's going on this woman. He's quoting a different, but he's oh. discussing this question of remote, remote okay. danger. So his his definition of a remote danger, he says, is one in a thousand. In a thousand. So, which is pretty uh, low threshold. Um, if, you know, meaning, uh, it depends on the mag- magnitude of the harm. Okay, but, yeah, but again, that would be real. The, the man to the harm is always, in Allah, discusses a danger to life. So he's saying, it's only one in a thousand that it might be dangerous to life. Sort of like driving a motorcycle. So, um, he used to drive a bike. Hmm? He used to drive a, a bike? No. Stop. Not since I was about 18. Okay. Um, Meta, he used to drive a bike. Okay, so uh, so so this is uh, quote number one. He says, "Writes with the risk is one in thousand. It is not considered pikuach nefesh." So, so it seems to me, in medical terms at least, pretty low threshold, you know, based on FDA or one in a thousand. I, I would argue. But there might. He says as again, there's no risk right now. It's a risk will come out of one in a thousand cases. The the risk of death from seatbelts certainly, if you apply it uh, on miles driven is exceedingly low and yet we require them the risk of smoking much higher uh, that's what i'm saying it's a much the, higher threshold you know, it it depends on the immediacy that you want to assign to it but the risk of harm in patient life years is really quite low right okay so uh, a thousand sounds like a lot to me a lot yeah, I, yeah. I meaning a lot, a lot if someone told me that every time you do a tonsillectomy, one out of a thousand patients dies, I'd be like, I'm not doing tonsillectomy anymore. Right, that's what I'm saying. A lot, meaning, when you say a lot, you mean a low threshold. It's a very... No, it's a high... It, it, I don't know how you're using the word low or high. Right, so you mean it's considered dangerous. You me, would consider that's that. Scary. Right, so that's right. One in a thousand sounds terrible. Right, <laughs> yeah, right exactly, that's my point. have somebody every yeah, thousand. Yes, so I agree, I'm agreeing, I, I agree. So that's a pretty. That's what I meant by low threshold. I mean, it's a, it's I a. Don't know. That word. Is not I don't know what the, what the word. I wouldn't use those words. So what words are you? It's confusing. Okay, so so that's one in a thousand would be considered a very high risk in surgery. Yeah. yeah. For routine surgeries, obviously, for ruptured aorta, yeah. that's not much at all. Right. But for like Ryan says, a tonsillectomy. A, one in a thousand risk of death is a very the FDA would not approve that drug. No. <laughs> not for that illness. Not for that illness. Not for that illness. For a higher risk illness, one in a thousand would be very good. Right. Maybe. Right. I got you. Still that's still a lot. Scare on the disease. Yes. So let's see. So the next, the next quote here is, is something Ron mentioned before. So it's very similar, which is no. There, there's two people who say we discussed it extensively in the past. Where there's a concept again relevant to this question of how you define pikuach nefesh, because again it's endless. Um, for example, if one says, you know, I could potentially save lives. So if I work in cancer research in MD Anderson, so I can go to work on Shabbat and violate Shabbat because I could potentially discover the cure for cancer. 
Right. So we had is had. So how does that work? So if I work in research in medical research, I'm allowed to I'm allowed to violate Shabbat every Shabbat, to drive to work because potentially I could be discovering the cure for cancer. Right. So so of course that doesn't work. The, and the, and that's what Ron mentioned before. There's a principle called lefanecha. That means it has to be. And I put it down here. I don't know. It's hard to translate, but. Um, he says like this, there's no that means there's no ill person in front of us whose life needs to be saved today that my action is going to save this patient today. I mean, the fact that I'm doing research now for all future pancreatic cancer patients, you know, and 15 years from now I might save them, that's not, that doesn't allow me to violate Shabbat today. Okay, you can do you could do your research Saturday night instead of going to the movies. You don't have to do it. There's no reason to do it today. He says it has to be a, what he calls a present danger here and now. Um, otherwise, it is not considered pikuach nefesh. That's what Ron was pointing out. The other classical case they discuss is autopsies, where we only Judaism doesn't allow mutilation of a human body, except um, and therefore autopsies generally are prohibited, except if there's a clear and present danger. That means there was a murder and we need to catch the murderer. It was foul play. So we need to find out who did this, because to get this danger off the street. So then an autopsy is allowed. Or if there's other family members who have the same disease presently, and we need to know what it is, we need to ascertain what the disease is so we can treat the other family members. So then again, then we would allow an autopsy in those cases. But otherwise, generally, because people of the Harris County um, uh, coroner's office needs jobs, and they need to perform an autopsy on everybody that every time someone sneezes, we know he was in a car accident. He, we know why his head got severed because the other car hit him, right? So we don't have to. We don't allow mutilation of a body just for that reason. Um, so, so that that kalal is the same. That principle is the same principle. Since right now there's a clear and present danger, we'll allow an autopsy. Um, the clear and present danger, either meaning there's a murderer loose on the loose, or may there might be. We don't know if it's foul play or not. There's 5% chance that he was, it was a homicide. So we need to ascertain that. Number two is, or if there's another family member who's a patient, Lifaneinu, that's what we're saying, in front of us presently. Okay? So that's that's the definition of of, uh, of Pikoch Nefesh. Anytime there's no present danger, it's a future danger. So, or meaning that we're trying to prevent maybe something in the future might happen. That's not concerned to find Pikoch Nefesh. So the question is, how is that applied to the gun situation, security and assure, meaning it's debatable, meaning could I, could you, one can argue, there's no, unless there's a specific threat to this synagogue, let's say in Israel, they have intelligence, actual intelligence, where they know there's a, you know, they hear that someone's coming from Gaza to this city, so now there's a specific threat, so then there's no question, that's Pikul Nefesh, but if we're saying there's a general, you know, we know uh, terrorists want to kill people. White supremacists want to kill people. Um, whoever it is. One second, let me finish my point. So that, do you define that as a, as a present danger? You know, there are people out there who want to kill Jews. I mean, that's been going on for 5,000 years. Most Jews don't get killed. Right? So is that, can, would you define that as a present danger? If I'm walking in Foundry Southwest, that's a present danger. There are people around me who, who are armed and might want to kill me. I would define that as a presentation, there's no question. But going to shul, because uh, you know, the media is saying that there's more anti-Semitism, and yeah, it's, it's increasing, and it's true. Not, it's, not, uh, it's real news, it's not fake news. But I don't know if I would define that as a present danger in that sense. Yeah. All right, just, I was thinking, we have security, don't think too much. We right. have security yeah. guards every Shabbat. Uh, what if they're, they were Jewish? We discussed it. You missed that. That's the question. So well, you missed that. We spoke about it before you came in. So I'll we'll tell you after class because we're ready. I just thought about it now. I know. Maybe I'm saying, but you missed. I don't want to talk about. It. We spoke about it already. So let's. We'll, I'll tell you after class because I don't want to tell you did it. Right. Okay. So that's number three. Um, sorry. That's number two. And as I just wrote, it's possible they're both giving different descriptions of the same principle that we don't violate Shabbat for remote possibilities. So again, there's some. What's it's really defining to a certain extent? All these opinions are defining what's considered remote. You know, at least, at least these two, two opinions we just mentioned are defining what's remote. Rabbi Kivager is, and you're saying you don't like that, is one in a thousand. Anything uh, over one in a thousand is remote. He's saying remote means it's not in front of us right now. Now, why should that make a difference? The, the issue is, and this is very important to understand, it's not an issue of in front of us or not. Because that really shouldn't make a difference. It's not the point. Is, is the patient in front of us? Is the patient not? The patient might be somewhere else. Is, it, is there a 
present danger. The patient might be somewhere else. For example, um, a case of, uh, of, of harvesting organs. Right, so today, even though we don't have the patient in front of us, someone dies in a car accident, Shabbat, okay, we want the fam- we want to harvest the organs. Can we harvest the organs for, uh, for, for someone else who need, we need to save their life? Yes. Even though the patient is not in front, we don't have anyone in this hospital right now. He comes to the ER in Bentab. Bentab doesn't have any transplant patients. Or there might not even be someone on the list relevant right now in Houston. But there is someone who's getting, we know right now who needs this organ. So of course we'd be, we'd be allowed to violate Shabbat to harvest that organ. Shabbat, even though it's not lefanein. My point is, I'm pointing out that it's not an issue of lefanecha doesn't literally mean the, pay, the, pay, the, the danger has to be in front of us. It is lefanecha. Right, lefanecha means the, 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 the danger exists currently right now. No, I'm not talking about this, this patient's organ, dead. In the organ example, it is lefanecha. You absolutely have a patient right. in front of you. But it's not in front of you. Yeah, you Some do. Somebody might be in Pittsburgh. Okay, but it's on a list that you know already wake exists. Up, wake up, Good stuff. Well, I'm danger. You already know that the list exists and that oh, there's exactly. a long list. Exactly. That's my so point. That what is I'm saying is, right, that's exactly my point. I'm saying the fanecha doesn't mean the patient's in front of you right here. It means, it doesn't mean right here I, I need to save someone's life. There's a call and there's someone in front of me I need to save their life. It means that. The, the 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 danger presently exists. It's it's already here. That means there's someone on the transplant list who needs this organ today. Yeah. As opposed to the other, let's say the case of Kiveger says it could lead to potential danger down the road. That's what he's saying. That's he's saying that's part of the remote. It's not only statistics. It's the fact that there's no present danger. Okay. That's that's, that's what I'm saying. The so definition of in front of us means present, not in front of us. So it means that it, the danger exists already. I think that's a key point. So donating blood to be put in a blood exactly bank would be prohibited on Shabbat. To be used within the f- next couple weeks. Right. Wait till Saturday night and donate it. Okay. But if someone needs platelets today right. and and they're and they need platelets on Shabbat, of course you can drive and and donate platelets and do whatever has to be done. That's that's the point. Um, if they need platelets on Tuesday, so then go on Sunday. Understand that? Okay, so that's uh, so that's a, so that is the famous lafanacha thing. But I'm, what, what I'm adding, just uh, that I don't know if we ever define that, in, is it's not about in front of you. It's about it's not, it doesn't know. And he speaks that out. This uh, this uh, um, in this truth, he says it's not about lafanacha. It's in front of you or not. That's just the the definition of the remoteness. It's about present. Is the danger already exist today? Or is it like we're saying curing cancer? Listen, cancer exists, but the danger, meaning it's not going to help. My research today is not uh, you know, necessarily going to solve the problem today. That's why, you understand, that's not called the fanach. Even though you could say there's many people dying out there of cancer. So, uh, yeah, I'm just interested now how you're going to bring this back to... The guns, guns in the show. Oh, so I said, I, I, it I sounds don't like you're arguing against guns in the show. No, so right this, now. according to this definition, you might one might say that there is. I don't know if you can call that a present danger. The fact how, that how would you unless it's a specific threat for the show. Yeah, but don't say there's none. So then, uh, according so to this, it might no be too remote. You're right. It might be too remote so to it say. So it sounds like you're arguing against. No, I didn't say against guns in the show. I said again, the violating meaning. That's what I'm saying. Right, you could yeah. hire non-Jews. Right. So, so far what I'm hearing is no one should carry guns into the show. Don't quote me just yet. That's what I heard you Okay. Say. So far. So far. Okay. So now, uh, let's continue. So then there's another response I found here. And response, this is someone, someone called the Chazanish. Um, where he just throws in a line, an interesting line. I'm telling you that. Okay, right here. Thank you. So I saw on your paper here, the Chazanish. Um, by the way, just uh, the last quote that we just said from Binyan Tzion, he says, he, he talks about it, and we mentioned this in the previous class, because he says, otherwise, how could you ever do anything dangerous? Getting to that other question of how much you're not allowed to take risk, you're not allowed to place your life in danger. So how could you ever go on a cruise? Uh, going over on the high seas is dangerous. You see Benj Como, how could you ever fly on a plane? So he says, of course, that's not... That's his point. Keeping the also shosha like it's gonna right now when I'm boarding a ship. There's no present danger. Pikuach nefesh means I can't place my life in danger. He says for a present danger, because there might come to danger later on. Meaning there are things that are present danger. If you're jumping, uh, going sky, that I don't know, 
um, whatever the case, or, or that's a present danger. If you say smoking um, each cigarette, which you know, some studies say, you know, shortens your life by two minutes, okay, so that's a present danger, then, then it's a problem. Whatever that means, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm saying if if you're boarding a plane, there's no danger per se. Yes, if they get caught in turbulence, and if you're going on a max level, so th- you know, so that so that's his point. Um, so the Chazanish is talking about here actually autopsies, um, and he says and he says he quotes this other thing about the Fanach, and he says he's the one that talks it out. If you look here in number ten on the sheet, he says. On the third line, he says, He quotes this previous response. He says, Bain. See it on the third line? And the first one is, hachiluk. Bain isa kaman, kaman. Whether it's in front of you or not in front of you. He says, that's not the difference. The difference is not. Lefanecha doesn't mean it's in front of you or it's not in front of you. Ella imatsu hadavar. is How prevalent is it that you're going to solve this, that right now there's a present danger? Help say that again. He, uh, it's vague, but he ju- I'm just saying he's. he's I'm just pointing out he, he's the one that says these words. It's not oh, about statistics. in front of you or not in front of you. He says Ella imatsi hadover. So his definition. This is where his key word is. He throws in something else now. Total monkey wrench. He says, and you're not gonna like this one. He says imatsi hadover the bizman Is this something? Is this danger seriously enough that the community is gonna get together and do something about it? Start praying together. It was, they used to do when there was a danger. Those days, so let's say there's a plague or there's a pogrom. So they would everyone gather in the synagogue and they would make a day of, fa- a day of prayer, a day of fasting. So he's saying, that's, he's the, he throws in, is it prevalent enough, is this danger statistically prevalent enough that we're going we're gonna to gather the community together and, and make a day of prayer or a day of fasting? That's how he throws in there. So he says... Or maybe um, disperse the community. <laughs> Right. says even though the, there's no there's no uh, patient ill in front of us right now so let's say if we, a good example would actually be what's going on now and in, in, unfortunately in some orthodox communities about vaccinations you know this ridiculous thing that there are people you know the anti-vaxxers not only in the Jewish community it's in everywhere but seeped into the Jewish community too so so meaning there's a measles outbreak in the United States it's the worst since um, 1994 three whatever it is 30,000 K, I don't know, whatever it is, some, I don't know the exact numbers. So, is there a clear and present danger now that we're going to go and make uh, and start praying that, you know, your kid shouldn't get, or, or do something about it? That it's something that needs to be taken care of ASAP. That's really his, so that's his definition um, in defining what's considered Pikoch Nefesh. He's saying if it's something that, you know, yes, there's a danger of health, everything is dangerous. Bar- eating barbecue is also dangerous, as we know, right? But we're not going to go ahead and start saying and banning barbecue. Um, at least not in Texas. So, so that becomes the question of, you know, it's what is it something that we're going to take a, a a serious action? He's uh, his in his eyes, the serious action would be making a communal communal prayer for that for that uh, danger. Okay, so that's interesting. Uh, so the media has a, a big effect on that issue. Ah, so that's an excellent point. We're going to see in the next one. Meaning, is so this could be subjective and objective. And I found this very strange. Uh, response from Marshall Feinstein, which I don't truly understand, um, honestly, and I have to do a little more research. I just saw it uh, um, this morning at 6 a.m. where he's quoting, so he, he's, he's discussing here of uh, actually different, the context is a different question. What, what happens if someone, which is a whole different class, I'm not going to get into now, which is someone put their life in danger, should we violate Shabbat? They're, they were idiots, they jumped off a roof, they, they attempted suicide. Do we have to violate Shabbat to save their life? If they put themselves in that situation, told them don't do this, you know, don't go bungee jumping. They went and they went to them and they went to climb, uh, what's the matter, you know, Everest. Everest, where you have, you know, 30 people died in the last two weeks, um, right? So you're stupid. Who <laughs> told you don't go there? The statistics say you're gonna die, and you did it anyway. So now should I go violate Shabbat to save that climber, right? Do I have to ruin my my Shabbat? And, and miss my challenge. So that's a whole different question, which we're not going to get into today. But in this context, Moshe Feinstein says, um, he quotes the Magen Avraham. He's talking about actually uh, the context is interestingly enough. There's a prohibition. I don't know if it's relevant to cruises today, but going on the high seas, they they, would t- they said, don't go on a trip three days before Shabbat on the high seas, because you're going to end up having to violate Shabbat. It's just it's not a it's, you know during those days, especially you when you went on a boat, uh, there's always, you know, things happen. So don't go on the ICs. You can only leave Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Don't go Wednesday, Thursday, Friday because you're going to end up surely having to... So if you went Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, it's fine. Even if, And if something happens, you could 
violate Shabbat. So he brings a proof from that that you, at the end of the day, even if you did something wrong, let's say you went on the cruise on um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you could still end up, you could, you're allowed to violate Shabbat if you need to, in the case of Bikoch Nefesh. But in that context there, he says a fascinating thing, which again, I don't completely understand, but he says what, what Eddie was pointing out, that is somewhat subjective. There are things, he says, <coughs> there are certain dangers that are subjective to the person. People think they're dangerous. And therefore they get all nervous and they get all anxious. And there's and other people are more relaxed, they're more chill, they're more laid back, and therefore they, then they don't view that that they're in a dangerous situation. Okay, like that people have anxiety, attacks for some things or right. So he's saying it depends on the person. It's gonna be subjective to the person. There's some things you know, if something's a clear danger, there's nothing to talk about. But he's saying there are some things in Pikuch Nefesh that are subjective, which sounds very strange to me. That's what he's saying. There are some things that depending on the person. For this person, if they're so anxious at Shabbat, they have to go to the hospital because they, uh, they have a little pain in their stomach or whatever the case is. And therefore, they're allowed to violate Shabbat. For the other guy who's laid back, and he's saying, nah, it's fine. So, he's not allowed to violate Shabbat, which doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. How could it's it be subjective? subjective? No, I'm saying it's either, it's either a danger we or it's not a danger. Ha- we always ask patients and defer to patients when they feel that they need to eat on Yom Kippur, even if they're kind of Weak, we we go with their opinion. Right, that's we go true. with the patient's subjective opinion. This is right. the same that's, thing. So that's what he means. That's that's what he's saying. Yeah. That's true. Ron's point. Yeah, we discussed in the laws of Kemper. It says the doctor says, "No, nah, he's not in danger." But the patient's saying, "No, I have to eat." So we sometimes we say in halacha, at least I don't know if medicine, but you're saying medical. I think also says in a certain sense we trust the patient's uh, gut feeling. They say they're having a heart attack, even if. We don't think yeah. they are. So we said they say they're going to die in the surgery. You believe them, right. and you don't do the surgery. surgery. Yeah, you just. Right. What's the point in fighting that? No, so you're <laughs> like, saying something else. But the question is, but it's you all don't subjective. Want, it's yeah. But I'm saying is, do we violate Shabbat for that subjective? Okay, you violate saying, whatever you violate to follow That's a good point. So he says he he makes this distinction, and he says he says the davar is that totally, but that kol echad batzmo, each person on their own. So he says there's some people who are weaker hearts and. And, and uh, meaning yeah. weaker uh, dispositions, yeah. And therefore, he says for them, it's considered sakana, and it's mutter to violate Shabbat. I don't hear it's a big chiddush. That's yeah, his definition. So the question would be, in this question of shul, or just applying it again to guns, would be. You're against it. No, no. I'm saying oh. if there are certain people who think that, oh my gosh, everyone's out to get us, and you know we have to put the bulletproof all over the shul and change the windows out to, to metal, you know, military grade metal and bulletproof, and, and the rabbi has to wear a vest. So for those people, you're allowed to do it if they feel their life is in danger, they're threatened, they feel. Anxious coming to Shul and Davening. Listen, there are people who told that, me they no, won't that's come. That's actually you're opening up an, an interesting. Well, that's what he's saying. That's box. what I'm saying. Like, but he's, he's saying it's subjective. Saying he's saying it's subjective to the person's anxiety. If they think their life's in danger, they could be Mechal Sham. Even though, that's objectively speaking, they might not be a danger. So, so, so he's not talking about gun. Yeah, he's not, that's guns. not his context. That's yes. a very different thing, in my opinion. Well, well I'm I'm saying I think your point is really apropos because. If, if an individual who comes to shul is very anxious. concerned and anxious about that and says, you know, I can't go to a gun-free zone like a synagogue that's a target, so I'm going to carry, uh, as an individual, he falls right into that discussion. Yeah, no, no, that's why I'm saying it opens up a big discussion, a bigger discussion where... I think the individual's needs and the community's whatever rules that they decide upon, if they, they collide, <laughs> we have a problem. Yeah, that's a different issue. Of course, listen, no one could do something about. without the re- permission of the, of the board no, and the rabbi, exactly etc. has to be decided in a, in a, you know, obviously you shouldn't walk into show without permission of a rabbi. You shouldn't be carrying that permission of the of the synagogue. And that's I don't, a, that's I don't know that. Yeah, that's not sure. That's exactly the opposite, though, of what you're just describing there for the individual. That no, well, he's that saying violate he's rule. saying the individual has a right to violate Shabbat. Now, that doesn't mean I have a right to do my own thing in the shul. Listen, if the rabbi, you know, doesn't allow it, that's a different. Thing. You have to figure it out with the rabbi. You know, it's meaning. Meaning that it's a shul policy issue. I mean, meaning as a rabbi, you can't condone telling people you could do whatever you want in the shul. You have to obviously discuss it. The shul, 
Right, but, but Shabbat is a general yes, rule yes, for everybody. Yes, he's talking about and, general rule. And, and yeah. yet you're, you're indicating that an individual's decision on what they need to do for their own safety on Shabbat with their own anxiety. I wouldn't say for their own safety. It's really their own anxiety. Well, I mean, their their view of it is it's their own safety. Right. It's, yes. it's their own life that they're they're considering the the risk benefit ratio of. So, so it's not a strong argument for carrying guns into shooting. No, he's saying it is. No, what what he's what saying Ed's it is. Saying is, saying is you know, he's ba- no, he's basing it on the concept that. We're going to base it on the subjectivity of a person's perspective and what they feel. That's not as hard-clad an argument as what had previously been presented, which is, no, the statistics are incredibly low, and therefore we define as not rising to that level of threshold. So therefore, there's no reason to carry gun factually. Or statistics. He's saying it's irrelevant. Facts are irrelevant. But then, but then there's this later little, you know, maybe it's irrelevant if you just feel anxious. Right. So it's sort of like that's a softer but huge loophole. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And and then you, as a surgeon, (laughs) said that the 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 rabbinic one in a thousand is not an appropriate right threshold. So you know, again. Yes, so, what is the so let me say one more, one last opinion, then we'll wrap it up because we're all done. could even go further. You don't, even Shabbat, there's no requirement that you have to be in the temple. Yes, so we discussed that also. That's all a good point. Maybe don't go to Jules, stay home if so you're anxious. So that if they, if they feel unsecure, yes, and there are people who do that, gun, then you don't go to Jules. Yes, that's a very good point. Let me just say the last opinion, very interesting. He says it gives a practical limits test to Zerbshalm Zam Norbach in uh, what's the context again? I forgot the context. But he's discussing um, situation. He says you have to look at what would you do, do during the week. If during the week this would be an emergency situation for you, no, that's the limits test. So then, then you do that. Then you do whatever. The same thing on Shabbat. Shabbat shouldn't be different when it comes to pikuach nefesh during the week. So the litmus test of pikuach nefesh is what would you do during the week? Um, would I go to the hospital during the week for this same situation? Then you go to the hospital on Shabbat. Would I carry a gun if I'm going to this area dur- um, during the week? So then I have to carry a gun on Shabbat. No, that's the limit. That does not follow. So let me explain. One second. He, he, for example, he's, one of the responses I saw, and I think that's what he's discussing here. I don't want somebody coming in. Okay, we're not discussing what you want. Discussing what the halach is. We're not talking about security. So, the so logic the, the doesn't follow. No, it does. Let me explain. Anxiety would be higher on Shabbat when there's a larger gathering of Jews. Oh, okay. I'm saying, so let's say there'd be a larger gathering during the week. See how much more would you... It's different during the week. No, no, Shabbat. let's say there would be a larger gathering. So that's the question. He's saying, if you would do this during the week, that's the litmus test whether you could do it on Shabbat. For example, the example, and I can't, I have it here, but I can't find it now, is... Is he says let's say in mil he's told, I, I don't remember if that's the well, context there, but a military sh- one second, one second. We're over time. The the the, uh, the issue is like this. He says let's say your the army is doing something, doing a patrol on Shabbat, and the jeep gets a flat tire. Okay, so and now there's they're in the middle of some uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Awadi. No, in the middle of uh, you know doing a you know a training exercise, whatever. It is. So now, but they're in a bad area. So now during the week. Would they just continue the training exercise and not fix the flat tire at this point and leave the Jeep there and come back at a later point? Or would they say, no, we got to fix it now and get this Jeep out of here? So then the same thing would be on Shabbat, even though, no, it's then whatever, no, it's, should they fix that flat tire on Shabbat for that Jeep in the military? Uh, in the military? So if they would do it during the week, then they do it on Shabbat. That's, that's, the, that's the point. So no, it's meaning the litmus test is what would I do during the week in this situation? If I would immediately call 911, in this situation, so then I can do that on Shabbat. Even though it might not be, it's a remote, very remote danger, but if you're going to not take any chances during the week, you have a little chest pain, you're going to go drive to the emergency room, so then you do that on Shabbat. So that's the limit step. So the question is, I guess it would be the same with, with carrying a gun, meaning if during the week I would do this, then it's, nothing should change, meaning the because never's litmus test is nothing changes from the week. We view Shabbat as a weekday. So therefore, if you you wouldn't during the week, there would be no question. You do this for security measures, then you then you'll be allowed to do it on Shabbat. Is what he seems to be saying. Yeah, he's not going on security. He's not going on guns. Um, I don't remember the exact context.
I'll just uh, summarize it because we're over time and you could ask questions. It says, so a summary, there may be nuanced differences between the various formulations, but they would all seem to agree that if there's no imminent threat and people wouldn't cancel important events during the week because of the situation, so then Pikuach Nefesh cannot be employed. So if this would be happening during the week, would we say, you know, the, this is enough of a threat that we're going to cancel the services or, or we're going to hire, we're going to make sure people come armed? If a threat or suspicious person package appears, that would be a cause for cancellation, interruption of an event, even on a weekday. Then on Shabbat, it is considered Safed Pikuach Nefesh, and one should violate Shabbat. Mm -hmm. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j ethics.org Shalom Shalom